I don't know about you, but I love the Christmas season. I get my Christmas playlist going usually in the middle of November and start getting myself ready because there's just something about all these Christmas songs, especially the song Silent Night. I love that song. It's so comforting, and it just kind of gives you this feeling. But then I started thinking about it. There are a lot of songs we sing that we have no idea what we're singing. Like, like they don't make any sense at all. Like, round yawn virgin. What is a yawn? Like, I don't even know what a yawn is, but we sing these songs. Uh, one of my favorite Christmas songs is the one that says, uh, uh, Said the little lamb to the shepherd boy, do you hear what I hear? I think this kid needs therapy. I mean, he's talking to a sheep. I mean, something's going on there. And then the best line of the song is, A child, a child, shivers in the cold. Let's bring him silver and gold. I mean, how about a blanket? I mean, the kid is freezing to death. I mean, it's like, let's be a little bit more practical than silver. We just sing all these strange songs. Silent Night is actually one of these strange songs because it's, it's such a beautiful song. It's a comforting song. I think one of the reasons we love the song is because we like the idea of sleeping in heavenly peace. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But here's the problem with Silent Night. It simply wasn't accurate. It was anything but a silent night. If you've ever been in the delivery room with a newborn baby, you'll know there's nothing peaceful and quiet about a delivery room. I mean, it is chaos. It is noise. It gets loud. And, and it was a very uh, traumatic season for a lot of the characters involved in this first Christmas. I mean, first off, you have this girl, Mary. Mary, historians believe, was between 13 and 15 years old. Now, get this, 13 to 15-year-old girl and she's engaged to a guy who's at least 30, but more likely 40 years old. Now, come on, 13-year-olds. How many of you want to be engaged to a 40-year-old man? This is what's going on. That'll cause some chaos in your life. Now, we know Moses was older, or Joseph was older, because he's not around at the crucifixion. Jesus would have never told John to take care of his mother Mary if Joseph was still in the picture. So we don't know if he split or he just died because he was older, but for whatever reason... He's not around. Then you've got this 13 to 15 year old girl and she gets pregnant, yet she's still a virgin. Try explaining that in town. I mean, because at this point, there's no statues of her. She's not the Virgin Mary. She's just Mary. Like you grew up with her and she's pregnant. And, and let's be honest, how many of you would have believed her? I mean, if you grew up with a girl who all of a sudden is pregnant and she's trying to convince you that, no, 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 it was God, I promise, it was God, would you I believed her. So you got issues going on this Christmas season. Then it's tax time, and it's time for a census, and they've got to travel. So Joseph takes his pregnant wife for nine months on a donkey. Now, if you've ever been pregnant, which I haven't, my wife has, uh, she'll tell you, or, or most of the ladies here will tell you, there's nothing pleasant about being pregnant for nine months riding on a donkey. I mean, that is not fun at all. So you've got all this stuff going on during this Christmas season, so it's not at all a silent night. The song's beautiful, just not a reality. So let's look at the first Christmas story with me. Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus, now again, for those of you who, who are still, still a little bit skeptical about the Bible and, and, and have a hard time for whatever reason, I want you to look at the detail that Luke puts in here. This is not Greek literature. This is not a fantasy. It's not a fairy tale. He, he's put, I mean, Caesar Augustus, we know him from history. Luke is, Luke is writing a historical document. This actually happened. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. 
And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem. The, now look at this. This is a very important detail. The town of David. Bethlehem is the town of David. Because he, Joseph, belonged to the house and line of David. So Joseph is royalty. Joseph's part of the royal family of David. He's part of the lineage of King David, and he's in the town of David. Now, if you know anything about Middle Eastern culture, especially during this time period, one of the highest honors of a Middle Eastern family is to host or to be hospitable to visitors, to strangers, to people coming in town. You have a story of Lot in the Old Testament who two angels showed up to stay at his house, and the men of the town came to abuse the angels, and Lot gave them his own daughters instead of sending the visitors out because it's you don't send visitors out in the cold. A lot of us have this idea that, that Joseph shows up and, and he's being turned down because there's, there's no room for them everywhere. Think about the logic of that. Nobody in this city would turn down somebody who is royalty. No, they, they would throw their own children outside before they turn down royalty, especially with a pregnant wife. And I'll show you that more in a moment. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, look at this phrase. This is a very particular phrase in the Greek language. The New Testament was written in Greek while they were there. While they were there. There's another phrase in the Greek language that says when they arrived. When they arrived. That's not this phrase. This is a different phrase. This is while they were there. See, again, a lot of us have an idea that, that you, know, sh- you know, Joseph you know, was unprepared and didn't know what he was doing. And, you know, they're traveling. And all of a sudden, she goes into labor. And so they're rushing into Bethlehem and trying to find a place to deliver the child. No, they had already been there. They had been there for a while, either a few days to a few weeks. But they didn't deliver the child the day they arrived in Bethlehem. They had been there for a period of time. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger. That's a very, very specific detail that we'll come back to in a moment. Because there was no guest room. There was no guest room available for them. Now, the Greek word for guest room there is the Greek word kataluma. Kataluma. That's the word that Luke is using right here, kataluma. There was no kataluma available for them. Now, the word Cataluma literally means guest room in a house. It doesn't mean a commercialized inn. It doesn't mean hotel. There's another Greek word that means inn or hotel, and it's the word pandoshion. Pandoshion. It's the word that Jesus used in Luke chapter 10 when he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan rescues this guy that's beaten up and bloody, takes him into town, and the Bible says the Good Samaritan takes him to a pandoshion, an inn, a commercialized hotel, gave him to the innkeeper, and paid to have him taken care of. That's not the word in the Christmas story. The word in the Christmas story is the same Greek word, this kataluma, that Jesus uses in Luke 22 when he tells the disciples, go into town and get the upper room ready or the the guest room ready so that we could have the Last Supper. Because, again, we we, have this narrative in our culture that, you know, they're coming in, she goes into labor, they're running around town, all the hotels are filled, and they can't find anywhere to have the child, and so they have them in, you know, what we, what we call a stable, which isn't true at all. Uh, the manger tells us exactly where the child would have been born. And I know right now I feel like I'm about to, you know, tell children the truth about Santa Claus, but I need you to know the truth of what's going on here. So let me give you a diagram 
of a Middle Eastern home during the first century so you can get an idea of where Jesus was actually born. This is a diagram of what a home in the Middle East would have looked like during this time period. You have the, the main house, and then either on the roof or attached to the side is the cataluma, the guest house, or the guest room. Then in the main room, you've got the family room. This is where the whole family would live, the living room, the bedroom, all in one. They would put two mangers right in the living room in most houses. They would carve them out of stone. They would be on the floor. Now, the reason they would keep mangers in the living room is because at night, they bring the animals into the front part of the house. And the front part of the house is about three to four feet lower than the rest of the house because they don't want the animals walking around while they're sleeping. They want them like kind of contained in a certain part of the house. And the reason they brought the animals inside their home was because, you know, they wanted to protect the animals from the elements. They wanted to protect the animals from predators, from wolves, things like that. Plus, the animals provided heat for the house. This is why in the Old Testament, the story of Jephthah, some of you know the story of Jephthah. Jephthah made the oath to God, I will sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my home. He never imagined it would be his daughter. He thought one of the animals would be coming outside because, again, people kept their animals in their homes. So the reason they put mangers is so if an animal got hungry at night, it wouldn't wake up the whole family. The animal could just kind of lean his head over, grab something to eat, and the family could sleep peacefully. So... Mangers turned into perfect cribs if you had a baby. All you had to do is clean out the hay, put some blankets in there. So Jesus wasn't the first baby kept in a manger. Everybody kept their babies in mangers. So we know now, because of the details, Luke points out where Jesus was born, how Jesus was born. And then here's a side shot. So the front part of the house, again, would be lower than the rest of the main house. So let's keep reading the story. And there were shepherds. Shepherds were the lowest class of society. They were like the bottom of the social rung, living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, now get an idea of this. You're a shepherd. You're out there on the side of the field. It's dark. You're doing this every night. There's sheep. There's stars. There's moon. And this is just business as usual. And all of a sudden, there's this angel and lights everywhere. That would freak you out. And it says, and they were terrified, rightfully so. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. Kind of like Bible humor there. Like, like don't be afraid. Uh, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. Messiah. This was a, a, a very important word to the Jewish people because for now a couple hundred years, they had lived under oppression. They have been dominated by, you know, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and now the Romans. The Romans are ruling over their area. The Romans were very oppressive. This is the time of Caesar Augustus. We know this uh, from history. We know how the Romans treated the people there in the Palestinian area. And so the Messiah is going to be born. Now, what the Jews believed is the Messiah is going to be this military leader. He's going to be king. He's going to overthrow the Romans, we're going to be free, we're going to be independent, we're going to be our own people. They were believing and hoping for that because of all of the prophecies. And so when they hear Messiah, they're thinking in their mind, this is going to be the king, he's going to be a ruler, he's going to be royalty. The Messiah would be born in a palace. The Messiah would be born in, in a royal family. The Messiah would be born with, with a wealthy family in a mansion. There's no way we as shepherds would ever be welcome to see the Messiah. I mean, he's royalty. We're shepherds. We're the bottom of the social ladder. 
So the angel points out two very important details. This will be a sign to you, the angel says. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes. Uh, Some translations, that's where we get swaddling clothes. Now, the reason that detail is significant is because wealthy people didn't wrap their babies in swaddling clothes. This is what peasants or poor people did. It's just not the way wealthy people take care of their children. And the angel says, lying in a manger. Another important detail, because wealthy people didn't put their babies in mangers. They didn't have mangers in their house. They had stables to keep all of the animals. And so wealthy people would have cribs. So what the angel was doing to the shepherds is saying, you're going to find Jesus in a family that is the same social class as you. They're going to be living in a home just like the home you live in, just like the home you grew up in. In other words, you will be welcome. That's what the angel was trying to communicate to the shepherds. And so even though we sing this song, Silent Night, and it's so beautiful and it's so comforting, it's just not a reality. It's not true because the whole season was filled with turmoil. You have terrified shepherds. You've got this 13-year-old unwed, you know, pregnant girl engaged to this older guy. You've got nine months on a donkey being pregnant. You've got taxes. You've got all sorts of turmoil and chaos going on. It was anything but a silent night. And the question is, why? Why would God allow his son, the Messiah, to be born in these circumstances? Here's the thing about God. God never did anything accidental. Everything God did was intentional. God intentionally sent his son into the worst possible scenario so that Jesus could relate to you. So that he could be the one you run to who gets it, who's been there, who understands, who knows what life here on earth is all about. So again, for anybody that has tax or financial issues or health issues or marriage or family issues, whatever it is, Jesus understands. He gets it. He's, he's been there. He's felt it. He knows what it's like. So here's the question. The song Silent Night, Sleep in Heavenly Peace. Is that possible? Is that, is that something that I can experience this Christmas? Because the truth is, I read a lot of the, I read every prayer card every week, and the truth is there's a lot of you that aren't sleeping in heavenly peace. You're, you're, you're experiencing a lot of sleepless nights. You're dealing with a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress and a lot of worry and a lot of fear and a lot of depression. And as your pastor, one of the greatest gifts I can give you, and what I want to do more than anything this Christmas season is to give you the gift of being able to sleep in heavenly peace and help you understand that this is absolutely a reality. Like this is something. I don't care how bad life is right now, and I don't care how bad circumstances get, This is a possibility for you. It is available. So one of the things I did is I began to study this word peace throughout the Bible. And in particular, I wanted to study the phrase peace on earth because this is the Christmas phrase. This is what we put on our Christmas cards. This is what we sing about, peace on earth. So (coughs) I studied this phrase, and what I discovered is this phrase, peace on earth, is only mentioned one time in the entire Bible. Like this phrase, peace on earth, is only in the Bible once. And it's not in the Christmas story. It's in Luke chapter 12. Jesus actually is speaking here, and Jesus uses this phrase. And here's what Jesus says about this phrase, peace on earth. Do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. There's your Christmas card right there. 
comforting words from Jesus. You think I came to bring, no, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring division. It's, it's, this concept, peace on earth, doesn't even exist. The song got it wrong. The verse got it right. I mean, research it out. Out of the last 3,500 years on planet earth, we have only had 286 years with no wars going on. Here's the truth. There's fighting going on right now. And we, we've got, we got wars we're dealing with right now, fighting going on. We've got, we've got men and women in our church who are in different parts of the world, involved in different conflicts, and they listen to these messages online. I get their emails talking about what it means to them to feel connected to their church and now with the video that is online. And so I just think for, for one moment, we need to give them an applause that they can hear through the system so that as they're out there this holiday season, they know their church is thinking about them, praying for them, and love them. So let's just give them a hand for all of them that are out there right now. Come on, where they can hear it. We want them to know we love them. Thank you. Because they'll hear that and they'll feel love just that we stopped for a moment and did that for them. So this concept, peace on earth, doesn't exist. But let me give you a promise for life on earth from Jesus. Here's a promise that you can hang up on your wall. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. So there's no such thing as peace on earth, but there is peace in Jesus. Here's your promise for life on earth. Here on earth, you're going to have many trials and sorrows. There's your promise for the wall right there. Like, like here on earth, as long as you're alive, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have problems. You're going to have trials. You're going to have sorrows. There are going to be difficult days. There's your promise for life on earth. But Jesus goes on, take heart because I have overcome the world. So this entire series is going to be about this concept of peace and sleeping in heavenly peace. And how do we find it? How do we experience it? How do we get to that place where it's actually a possibility in our life. So what I want to do first is I want to give you four things that rob us of peace, four things that keep us up at night, four things that create anxiety and stress and depression. First off is unavoidable circumstances. And the key word there is unavoidable, unavoidable. These are things that you didn't plan. These are things that you didn't want. These are things that you weren't looking for. These were unexpected in your life, situations you found yourself in. I think about many families in San Bernardino right now who, because of what happened Wednesday at a Christmas party, something that was unavoidable to them, something that they could not have foreseen. You have families now dealing with some very difficult circumstances, families that have been forever changed because of some unavoidable circumstances. And many of you know what I'm talking about. You've found yourself in situations where it just feels like it's going from bad to worse. Like there's things that have happened either financially or in your health or marriage or family that you didn't plan for. You never hoped to be in that situation. Jeremiah says it like this, disaster follows disaster. And that's what it feels like sometimes. It's like, can it get any worse? The whole land lies in ruins in an instant. My tents are destroyed. My shelter in a moment, this is one of those things that takes away our peace, these unavoidable circumstances. Here's another one, unbearable people. How many know some unbearable people? Don't raise your hand if you're sitting by them, but there are some un. 
bearable people in the world. There are people who have gone to our 301 class and they've discovered it is their whole, like God, their purpose in life is to make your life miserable. Like that's what they discovered in 301, that God created them to make you miserable. They're just, they, they build patience. That's what they call it. They're there to help you grow your patience. They're unbearable. You meet a lot of them on Black Friday in the parking lot. I mean, just unbearable people everywhere you go. David says it like this, they surround me with hateful words. They fight against me for no reason. It's like they're just, they're just there. It's like life would be so great without all of these people, these unbearable people. Here's another one that robs us of peace, unexplainable problems. Like I get the fact that we're going to have problems. Like I know life is going to be tough. What I don't like is when they're unexplainable. What I don't like is when there's no answers. Like, like I want to know why. Like, give me some answers. And I think about Matthew Jackson in our church, who just a couple weeks ago, he was supposed to sing on this stage, part of our worship team, 28 years old, full of life, had the most incredible voice you've ever heard. His first Sunday to sing, he was going to be here a couple weeks ago, and then Wednesday night, he got off of work, drove home, and was killed in a car accident. And I think about that, and I think about his family and friends, and I think about, you know, the loss of our church and his voice. And the truth is, I want answers. Like, I don't understand it, and I want to know why. Like, there's some things that I want to know. But I've got to be comfortable in the fact that some things can't be explained. Like, I'm not going to get every answer I want here on earth. Like, there are things that I'm not going to find out till I get to heaven. And the more I think about it, I'm glad that God can't fully explain himself to me. I mean, think about it. I, I, I'm glad that I, 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 I can't fully comprehend what God is doing and what God is thinking and everything, and how God operates. Because here's the thing. If I could fully comprehend God, he wouldn't be that impressive, and we'd all be in trouble if my brain could figure it out. So I like the fact that there are some things we're not going to know till we get there. and We've got to get to the place where we're comfortable but the fact that there's some things I'm just not going to know. That's why I think the first sound you're going to get when you get to heaven is not this hallelujah. I think the first sound in heaven is going to be, oh, that makes so much more sense. Because I think you're going to get there and you're going to figure out some of those things that you struggle with, some of those whys in your life. And here's the thing. Even Jesus had whys. My God, my God, why? Why, God, why? And if you're not careful, the whys will rob you of peace. The whys of life will rob you of peace. And then all three of these things combine to give us the fourth one, which is uncontrollable worry. And the key word again there is uncontrollable. Like you didn't plan on worrying. You're not, you're not, you know, this is not your, your game plan. Like no one has ever come to me and said, you know what, worry works so well for me. I love to worry. Like it just always works out. No, it's uncontrollable. Like, we can't help it at times. We find ourselves in this state of worry, and it's not that we want to worry. We just find ourselves with worry because of the issues of life. I'll be honest with you. There, there's moments where I, I, as I'm reading through every prayer card every week, and I'm looking at some of the challenges that some of you, the family of our church, are experiencing and some of the trials and problems that you're facing, I find myself at moments getting human and worrying for you looking at some of the things that, that you're having to go through and realizing, like, how in the world is it going to happen? Like, like, how is God going? It just doesn't seem like there's any hope. And then i got to come back to the place that with God, all things are possible. 
but worrying hits us all. Worrying hits men and women differently, especially during Christmas time. Like on Christmas Day, women are worried about, like, you know, did I get the right present? Are they going to like it? Is it the right size? Is it the right color? Men are worried about, how am I going to pay for all of this? I'm going to have to go get another job this January just to kind of, like, pay off Christmas. But we all worry, and, and it can become crippling. It, it, it cripples you. Like some of you, you, you've got these office Christmas parties you're supposed to be at, and you're looking forward to it, and you want to have a good time, but because of the anxiety and the stress of life, you show up, and you're worried, and your mind's out of it, and you're not yourself, and you end up saying things that you regret, and now you've got more worry because of how you behaved at the party. It's crippling. Jeremiah says it like this. We heard the reports about him, and we began to worry. Our, our hands hang limp. Anguish has gripped us, pain like that of a woman in labor. All of these things rob us of our peace, keep us from having that silent night. So let's go back to the Christmas story, because I know some of you are still hung up on the whole peace on earth thing. You're thinking, no, 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 that's not right. I, I saw Charlie Brown, Linus read it, peace on earth. I know it's there. So let's look at the actual passage that Linus read. Again, Luke 2, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. On earth peace. There's no such thing as peace on earth, but on earth peace to men to who? Whom his favor rests. So there'll never be peace on earth. That'll never happen. That You, know, you and Miss America are the only one that believe in that. That's not going to happen. But what God promises is on earth peace to people who have God's favor on their life. So here's the question. If the way I have peace is to have God's favor, how do I get God's favor? And my goal is to answer that this series, to walk you through some steps and some very powerful principles where you can get God's favor on your life so that you can discover peace on a very unpeaceful earth. Like you can be like Jesus, asleep in the bottom of the boat, taking a nap with the worst storm on the sea going on all around you. Like, like your circumstances can actually get worse this month. And you can, you can discover a gift of sleeping in peace if you get God's favor on your life. Because here's the thing. This Christmas, Jesus has a gift for you. He's got to, it's all wrapped up. It's, it's waiting. It's available today. You don't have to wait to the 25th to open it. Like you can literally take this gift today and you can begin to experience God's peace. And, and, and as your pastor, there's nothing I want more for you this season than you to open this gift, experience this gift, and have this gift become a reality in your life. Jesus says it like this, I'm leaving you with a gift. Like he's got a Christmas present for you this year. And it'll be one of the greatest presents you'll ever receive. And it's the gift of peace of mind and heart. Like, I want to give you peace of mind and heart, Jesus is saying. And the peace I give isn't fragile like the peace the world gives. Like, the world has a version of peace, but it's lame. It, it doesn't work. And if it does work, it's just temporary. It doesn't last. Jesus is saying, like, I'm going to give you a peace that's not fragile. It's not like the peace that the world gives you. So don't be troubled or afraid. Don't be troubled or afraid. So what I want to do now is I want to give you four truths from Scripture. Four truths from Scripture, and again, I guarantee, I absolutely guarantee, if you will apply these truths, you will discover peace this Christmas season. I don't care how bad the circumstances are. 
I don't care what goes on around you. If you will apply these principles out of Scripture, you will discover God's peace in a way you've never thought possible. You will sleep like a baby. You'll sleep in heavenly peace. Here's the first one. Is I want you to receive God's pardon. I want you to receive God's pardon. Psychologists tell us the greatest source of stress is guilt. The greatest source of stress is guilt. People have guilt. They, they, they have things that they regret, things from their past, mistakes that they made, word, words that they've said. And so you carry this guilt from yesterday. You carry the guilt of your past. And one of the gifts that God wants to give you this season is a pardon. And I love the word pardon. It's what, you know, the president can do and governors can do. They can take somebody who's guilty and in prison and pardon them and they can go free. And that's what God wants to do for you this year. Isaiah says he wants to take all your sin as messed up and ugly and, and, and broken as your past is. And he wants to wipe it all away. And he wants to make it white as snow. He wants to literally give you a white Christmas. And the thing about God is he will forgive and he will forget and he will never bring your past up again. Here's the scripture. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, it's not something you earn. It's not about your good deeds. It's not about your good works. You'll never get it that way. It's a pardon. And the pardon is a free gift of God's grace. It says we have peace. We have peace. Peace comes through that pardon. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. It's not what we do. It's not about what you do. It's about what he has done. He has done it. All you have to do is receive it. So the first thing is I want you to receive God's pardon this year. Here's number two. Run to God's presence. Run to God. And, and there's no greater season than right now because I know if you're like the average American, this is going to be the busiest time of your life. There's going to be more for you to do over the next couple weeks than any other time during the year. There's going to be parties and events and all sorts of busyness and craziness and chaos and, and turmoil. And if you don't learn to pull away, if you don't learn to pull away, and not just pull away, but to run to God's presence, to get alone with God, to get in His presence. To, to, that's what worship is all about. That's why we tell you on Sunday, worship on Sunday is just practice. It's just trying to train you how to do it for when you really need it because you're going to have times where you need to pull away from the busyness of the season. You need to pull away from all the activities and you need to just get alone with God. And you say, well, I, I, I don't have the time. You can't afford not to make the time. You can't afford, I, I mean, I mean, you're going to lose that time either staying up all night worrying and stressing. You're going to lose that time somewhere. I want you more than ever to pull away, to pull away this season. Get alone with God. Get in his presence. And here's the promise, not just peace, perfect peace, perfect peace. Look at this. You will keep in perfect peace, perfect peace, all who trust in you. And look at this, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. It's hard to keep your thoughts fixed on God in the busyness. That's why it is critical for you to pull away. It is critical for you to run to God's presence. It is critical for you to get to a place where you can fix your thoughts on him. Because when that happens, perfect peace is the result. Perfect peace. Here's the next one. Respect God's principles. Respect God's 
principles. Some of you have a lot of anxiety in your life right now, and you've got a lot of stress in your life right now because you've been violating God's principles. Look, you're a Christian. You're going to heaven. You've been pardoned. You're forgiven. I get all of that, but you're violating his principles, and as a result, you've added a lot of extra stress and a lot of extra anxiety to your life that God never intended for you to have. We've got to be very careful in the generation that we live in. Because we live in a generation that wants to alter God's word to fit our culture. We want to say, well, that's not what, we're, that's not what really the Bible means anymore. Like, we've got to change the Bible. The Bible is not socially acceptable. It's now culturally offensive. And so we need to alter God's word. No. How's it working out? See, that's the question. How's it working out? You look at our generation. We've got eight-year-olds dealing with anxiety and clinical depression. It's not working out. We live in a culture today that are violating the principles of God's word more than ever. And as a result, there's no peace. There's no peace. Look at the promise. Those who love your instructions, those who love your law, one translation says, your word, those who love your principles, what do they have? Not just ordinary peace. They have great peace. Those who love your instructions have great peace and they do not stumble. See, it wouldn't matter what the earth dished out. Great peace is reserved for those who love God's word, who read God's word, who obey God's word, who live this book out. I'm telling you as your pastor, trust it, obey it, read it. I don't care how crazy it sounds. It doesn't have to make sense. The question is, do you want peace? That's the problem with our generation. We question everything, like, like, like uh, water baptism. I, I don't understand it. Doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't have to make sense. Do it. Tithing, I don't understand. It doesn't, doesn't have to make sense. Do it. question is, do you want peace or don't you? I mean, if Jesus says, stand on one foot and hop around, do it. Do it. Great peace is reserved for those who love his instructions, who love his commands, who love his word. It's not to penalize you. It's to free you. And then here's the last thing. Rely on God's provision. Rely on God's provision. He needs to be the one you run to. God needs to become the one you tell everything to. Like, look, I know you've told your sister. I know you tell your friends. I know you, you, you tell a lot of people the issues and challenges and problems. You need to run to God. You need to rely on his provision. And I'm not talking about financial provision. I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about emotional provision, spiritual provision. I'm talking about every aspect of your life. Look at the way Paul says it. Don't worry about anything. But it's uncontrollable. Yeah, I know it's uncontrollable, so let me give you something that you can do to stop it. Because the reality is all worrying is part of the human condition. It is uncontrollable at times. So what Paul does is he gives you a technique that you can apply when you begin to worry to stop and counteract the worry. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Don't worry about it. Pray about it. Give it to God. Let God worry about it for you. You give it to God. Tell God your needs. Run to God. Rely on Him. Tell Him what you need. And don't forget to thank Him for His answers. Well, He hasn't answered yet. Thank Him in advance. Because the truth is, He has answered. It just hasn't got to you yet. Remember when Daniel prayed? The angel said, look, look, day one when you prayed, the answer came, but it just took a little while getting it to you because they had to fight through some spiritual stuff. So thank God in advance. Tell him what you need. Thank him in advance. Don't worry. Pray. 
And look at the result. If you do this, if you do what? If, if, if you can learn to stop worrying and pray instead, if you can learn to tell God what you need, if you can learn to thank him in advance, even, you know, thank him for the answers, even though they haven't shown up yet, if you can do that, look at the result. You will experience God's peace. If you can do that, you will experience God's peace, which Paul says is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. This is so much better than the human mind can possibly comprehend. See, what prayer is, is transferring your burden to God. When you go to your time of prayer, if you come out and you're still worried, you didn't pray, you complain. There's a difference. Because prayer is when you stay there and you transfer it all to God where you're not worrying about it anymore. Where you have a time of prayer where, yeah, you, you start worrying and it's, it's a battle, it's a fight sometimes in, in prayer. But you transfer it to God. And, and, and I want us to practice that right now. We're going to end this service different. We're going to sing Silent Night in a moment. And some of you are going to start receiving God's peace. Some of it is conditional on principles. Like the reality is God set principles in motion. Like if you can learn to do these four principles, you're going to start receiving perfect peace, great peace, God's peace, peace like the world will never offer you. But we got to start somewhere. So what I want you to do is I want you to just hold out your hand, palms up. Everyone just, just for a moment, hold out your hands, palms up. And I want you to feel your burden right now. Whatever you're worrying about, some of you are carrying burdens for other people. Some of you, it's the weight of sin that you're carrying right now. Some of you, it's a financial burden or it's a, a health or a family, maybe a marriage burden. But just, I want you to just for a moment, I want you to, to feel that burden. Just feel it for a second. The weight of it. It's heavy. It's keeping you up at night. It's hard to sleep in heavenly peace with that thing. And then I want you to just turn your hands over and feel it release. See how good that feels? That's what God wants to do for you right now. Would you just close your eyes for a moment? The, the team is going to sing this song, Silent Night, the first verse. And I want you to just meditate on this song as they sing the first verse. We know the song wasn't true for the original Christmas story for Mary and Joseph. But because of the original Christmas story, the song can be true for you. That's the good news of it. So the first song, just let it be sung over you. Second verse, we'll sing it together. And the third verse, we'll all stand and we'll sing it in closing. But just close your eyes for a moment. Let this be sung over you. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, from yon virgin two gifts that we want you to receive this year. Some of you have already received one, and that's the gift of Jesus. For those of you who've never received the gift of Jesus, that's the greatest Christmas gift you'll ever get, is the gift of a Savior, somebody that will forgive you, love you, somebody that'll be the Lord of your life, somebody that'll 
give you eternal life, and you need to receive that gift first. So as we sing this next verse together, if, if you need to receive the gift of Jesus, all you have to do is say, Jesus, I say yes to you. Just your words, just during the song, just say, Jesus, I say yes to you. And then for everyone else, the gift that, that I'm desperate for you to receive is your pastor's this gift of peace this season. That you can have peace in the middle of the chaos of Christmas. You can sleep in heavenly peace. Let's sing this verse together. Father, today we thank you for the greatest gift any of us have ever received, and that's the gift of your son, Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you for the gift that you desire for each one of us to receive, to open, to become a reality in our life, and that is peace. You want to give us peace, peace of heart, peace of mind, peace that isn't fragile like the peace this world gives. So Jesus, today, let us begin to apply these principles. Let us receive your pardon to know that we're forgiven so we don't have to carry the guilt of our past around any longer, but we can let it go. Let us run into your presence, especially during the busyness of this season. Let us be intentional about breaking away from the chaos and breaking away from the busyness and just being in your presence. Let us begin to respect and respond to the principles of your word. Every principle in the Bible is for our benefit. You didn't put anything in the word to take our joy away. You put it in there so we have boundaries that protect us and that give us a fulfilling life. A life of freedom. A life of peace. And lastly, let us learn to rely on you for everything, God. As Jesus said, come to you for daily bread. We, we come to you for everything, every need of our life. We tell it to you. We tell it to you, and instead of worrying about it, we're just going to turn it into prayer. We're going to tell you, and we're going to thank you 
for all of the answers, even the answers we haven't received yet. We're going to thank you in advance. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Have a wonderful week, everybody.